Hello, and welcome to this episode of an Unexpected Podcast. My name is Tim, and with me as always, we have Matt and Devin. And joining us as a special guest this week is Andrew from New Jersey. Uh, Andrew is a part of another podcast, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but before we get into that, we'll go over what today's topic is. We have a list from Johnny Test, and we're going to be going over good versus evil tournaments and talk about what we like, what we don't like, and how they end up going around. So, Andrew, if you want to give yourselves a little bit of a shout out and talk about what your podcast is about. Yeah, sure. So thanks, Tim. Thanks, everyone, for having me. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Andrew. I am a member of the There and Back Again, the Hobbyist Tale podcast with uh, my buddies, John and Evan. Uh, we are kind of the New Jersey community. Um, so we play in, in the northernmost part of New Jersey at a store called uh, Mythico Studios, uh, where John actually works now. So he's kind of uh, poured his heart and soul into designing some really cool terrain uh, features. And, and we try to mix up the events that we have there. Um, and we have a lot of fun doing so. Um, our podcast, we, we each kind of have a different thing that we bring to the table. I'm a little bit more of the analytical, mathematical player. Um, Evan is like really a like master craftsman. Um, he does all these cool conversions. You guys should definitely check his uh, Instagram out. Um, Half Full Halfling, I think is his, uh, is his name. And uh, John just does kind of a little bit of everything and he's our fearless leader. So we haven't been able to record for a little bit. Uh, as jobs have kind of uh, not given us a lot of overlap time to um, to record. Uh, but hopefully we'll get back to it one day. And we do still have our events at Mythico Studios that we were lucky enough for Tim to uh, come out recently and play with us. And we have a really good time. And our focus is, is good versus evil, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about later on. Yeah, I'm really... Oh, I, I was just going to say, I'm really looking forward to going down to one of those tournaments. I know he keeps threatening to do it. And you know, life kind of keeps getting in the way, but sooner or later, I'm going to get down there. It's not, I mean, it's, it's a four hour drive, so it's not that long a drive. So, you know, it's definitely doable for a day. We'll be down there. I definitely recommend it if, if you're looking that, because well, what's interesting about it as well is not just the good versus evil, but you guys do lower points than normal. And for somebody, if you don't have enough models, or if you just want a little bit of a change of the meta, you can go ahead and do you know, I think it was usually 600 and 650 is usually the points limits you guys do. That's yeah, that's correct. typically kind of the high end of what we would do. We did a 450 event recently. Um, we're trying to, you know, mix it up and, and build a player base at the lower points and then kind of bump it up at some point, but uh, also keep it manageable for just day day long events. Yeah, just for anyone who's never perspective on the English, uh, I'm sorry, the American meta, we generally do like 700 plus across the United States. So 650, though common in like the UK around here. Yeah, that's definitely lower 600 stuff like that is a lower. So yeah, if you yeah. want to change in something and then also it's a very friendly group. Uh, I've only been to one tournament, definitely <clears throat> plan on coming back. But when I was there, everybody was very nice. Everybody had a, looked like they had a really good time. The train was great as well. Um, it's very good experience. I, I recommend if anybody's near uh, Warwick to definitely head over there. Or no, Mawa, Mawa, sorry. Um, but we're going to go into the list for today. Uh, as I said earlier, it's by Johnny Test. So, Andrew, if you want to go ahead and go over that first. Yeah, absolutely. So, it looks like we have a uh, 1,000 point Minas Tirith list uh, getting ready for Warhammer World. So, that's pretty exciting. Um, Johnny says he wants to take four bolt throwers for fun, uh, but please critique the list in its entirety. 
so we've got that caveat going into it. I'm also a big uh, Avenger bolt thrower fan, so I might be a little higher on this list than, uh, than you guys. Not sure four is the right number, but we'll see. Um, so Warband 1, we've got uh, 15 units. So it's uh, Boromir, um, Captain of the White Tower with the banner, horse, and shield, which I, I think is the way you want to run him. Uh, you've got six Guards of the Fountain Court with shield, six Warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, uh, three Knights of Minas Tirith with shield. The second Warband is Ingold with six Warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, five uh, Warriors with shield and spear and uh, one Guard of the Fountain Court with shield. Then Warband 3 uh, is Madril, who's got four Rangers of Gondor with spears and six uh, Rangers of Gondor without spears. So that's kind of his, uh, his archer Warband, it looks like. Um, then the four Avenger Bolt Throwers make up Warbands 4 through 7. Um, and then Warband 8 is Denethor, uh, who would be the leader of the army um, at with four warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, four warriors with shield and spear, and two rangers of Gondor with spear. So all in all, it comes out to 1,000 points, uh, 63 models, break point of 31, uh, and 12 bows. And it looks like Boromir's got six might, Ingold and Madril both have three each, I think. Um, so that'd be 12. And then I think you get one on each siege captain, right? So I think that would be 16 uh, might in this list, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, so the first thing I'm going to say right off the bat is this is about twice the size of what I usually play. So these numbers and the amount of guys that are in this list is just like staggering to me. Um, but my first takeaway, there, there's a couple of things that really stand out to me um, before I talk about the Avenger Bolt Throw. I was going to say, up. you mean aside from the four Avenger Bolt Throws? <laughs> <laughs> but that's like too obvious. So you've got to get into the subtleties, I think, first. So um, a couple of things that stand out to me right off the bat, uh, which are actually things I've learned a lot from, from watching and listening to you guys, um, is kind of your distribution of your warbands here. So I did the same thing kind of when I started out playing, uh, where I put all my archers with my archer hero, which is Madril in this case, um, and then just kind of put all the infantry guys with your infantry uh, leaders. And there are some reasons why you might want to do that. For example, I play Lake Town a lot, and Percy gives your archers a bonus. So uh, in this case, Madril doesn't actually give your archers any real bonus. So clearly your, your strategy here is to kind of sit back and shoot with all of the uh, bolt throwers. But I would say you probably want to distribute uh, these warbands a little bit better. So for example, the first one with Boromir, uh, all of your foot troops, which are 12, um, you've got uh, six guys with shield, and then obviously the guards of the fountain court that can support, but they got the defense seven. So sometimes you want them uh, in the front rank. Um, so maybe putting a couple of uh, the Rangers with spear in that warband, you might be able to get some more fight for and then put some more of the guards of the fountain court in maybe Madril's warband so that it's not super squishy. I know he does give you the bonus for um, the reserve deployment, the maelstrom of battle, but if Madril's warband with the defense four Rangers does get kind of caught out in a bad spot, I mean, it's just going to be really easy pickings and then you lose a lot of your shooting troops. So I would say, uh, maybe moving around some of the guys a little bit. Um, you've got the banner with Barmir, which is awesome. And then, uh, you know, I don't want to say don't take four Avenger bolt throwers because it says clearly that that's what you want to do. Uh, but I'll just talk about my experience with them. So I've, I've run lists with either one or two of them in them. Uh, you guys, I think, talked not long ago on one of your episodes about kind of how mathematically they're not really the best use of points. Uh, and while I agree with that, 
I, I found that every time I play them, my opponent just plays completely differently. And for a 50 point uh, unit, um, you get the one point of might. you've got, you know, three models there that are a little bit hard to get to. And it is still a really high strength bow. So there are going to be times where you can take a guy off their horse pretty easily uh, or just threaten a pretty large area of the map. So I am a fan of them. Um, I think, you know, with the new missions in this edition of the game uh, and the fact that some of your deployment zones are really close to your opponent, I would be kind of afraid to have so much devoted to to shooting with these siege weapons. Um, so those are kind of my initial thoughts, but I'll take a pause and see kind of what everybody else thinks. All right. So <laughs> I just take a stab at it. So one of the things actually I would do with this list is um, even be, I, I think the primary the best use of the Rangers of the North, uh, I'm sorry, the Rangers of Athelion in this list is actually to distribute fight four across the army. Um, you already have four bolt throwers, which I agree with Andrew, the psychological factor of four of those most opponents, even if they could outwit you in a shooting, war, are probably going to come to you anyway, especially if they're inexperienced with dealing with these things. Um, and you'll still have the rest of your archers, but yeah, definitely don't want a shooting war band. And I think if you were to take like, five warriors of Minas Tirith from Ingold's warband and plop them in drills and then take his rangers and throw them upward. And of course, every ranger would need a spirit to do this. Um, and if you put, distribute some to Denethor's warband and, you know, vice versa, mix it up, you know, and even it out as much as you can. Borman's the only one that doesn't really need to do this, given that he has Garden Fountain Court uh, as is what I'm assuming is a front line, since I don't have spears. Um, actually, you know what? The warriors of Minas Tirith don't have spears either. Uh, you you might want to give yeah. But oh no, the he, guards are spear the, armed. The guards yeah, the guards have, spear. have spears. Yeah. He, he's yeah, got it organized. He's got spears and yep. So he has those in the back. Which uh, so that's another change I might make. I might add spears to the warriors minutes here. And the only reason is because guards of the fountain core more so than just the defense seven is also they're fearless. So I kind of would be really tempted to like have the option to put them in the front ranks which in this setup you don't have the option to do because then your back warriors are just waiting their turn to fight. So I would definitely give those warriors and units here spears if possible, where you would get the points out of here, considering your heroes are already lower tier just to cram them all. Well, I mean, you get the points from an Avenger bolt thrower, <laughs> to be honest, probably, but um trying to look at where else you would grab those. I, I might think about that once I pass it off and then and come back to it. But those are my initial thoughts. Is I think you're really missing the primary benefit of the Rangers, which is, you know, beyond just the bows is to distribute that fight for. Other than that, sure, we'll keep the Avenger bolt throwers. I mean, one of the ways, okay, I guess one of the ways you can get the points back is just to delete a Garden Fountain Court in Ingold's Warband, you know, or something like that. And that's a, like 11 points right there that you can just, distribute spears and such so um so that's an option for you uh it would only bring you down one model so no big deal there uh other than that though those are my initial thoughts of how i would replay this out i mean matt do you have any other thoughts on that yeah so i, I mean my initial thought when i looked at this was that i was going to say what andrew wasn't going to say which is this is too many avenger bolt throwers and <laughs> it probably is too many avenger bolt throwers but but then i started to think about it um you want more of them Matt? no i don't think I, I don't think i want more of them i mean my my question is you know how viable this is at with at a thousand points with four avenger bolt throwers um I was wondering, 
I, I was yeah, wondering if you way. could do it, you know, because I mean, the, the advantage of, so the thing about having one Avenger bolt thrower is one Avenger bolt thrower has the effect of shooing people away from its field of fire. When you have four, you know, you, you don't want to distribute these, by the way, like a Napoleonic Grand Battery, where they're deployed like hub to hub, where they're all shooting in one direction. You want like one, you know, somewhere near the left edge of the board, another one somewhere near the left center, another one near the right center, another one kind of near to the right edge of the board. So they have no dead zones and they all kind of cover each other with fire um, so that uh you know, if if he sent basically, if he sends a task force to try and kill an Avenger bolt thrower, at least two other ones have shots on that task force as they're approaching it. And I wonder if the way to fight this is to kind of reorganize um, the warbands along the lines of what Devin was saying, so that instead of having three kind of shield wally warbands and one ranger warband uh to have four mixed shield wally ranger warbands and basically one kind of sits in the vicinity of each avenger bolt thrower obviously you put you know kind of boromir in the center and probably ingle kind of next to him but still kind of near the bolt throwers maybe with a bolt throw on either side so that each one of these bolt throwers kind of has an escort and um and it's yeah basically you have you have four independent sources, forces, each with a bolt thrower that can kind of cover the others. And, you know, he has to, he has to send a significant amount of force uh, after any particular bolt thrower to try and get at it. At which point that one bolt thrower like picks up its bolt thrower and runs away while the other three shoot it, whatever is trying to run it down. I'm wondering if that's the way you play it. And, you know, you are going to get some scenarios like contest of champions where you're going to be fighting in the middle of the board and all these Avenger bolt throwers are going to be at the back. And I wonder if you just kind of put your guys in a glob uh, in the middle, wait for him to try and surround your glob and then just shoot all the spearmen off of the surrounded glob. You know, basically, so you, you create like kind of a hollow ball in the middle with your guys with shields and spears wait for him to try and surround it and then shoot people that are trying to surround the thing you know i just this is kind of so far off of the baseline of anything even i've played with that i just don't know uh I, you know i don't i don't know how this works um i don't know if this this could be a this could be a list of genius or not i mean i agree with all all of andrew and devin's comments about kind of redistribution of uh the rangers um although if you want to be kind of like ranger heavy in madrill's warband i think that's fine because usually the one of the reasons you want to split up your your rangers other than getting the five five four which is useful is to make sure you've got shooting from a bunch of different directions but you've got four avenger bolt throwers that are give you shooting from different directions so that's less of a reason to do it i think more of the reason to do it is to kind of maximize where your fight four is in these warbands, but there are certain warbands like um, uh, Boromir's warband that I don't think he needs any archers because he's got six guards of the of the uh, fountain court sitting in there to do it. So you can maybe concentrate some rangers someplace else, maybe stick them in some terrain. Um, I guess one last piece of advice is I I've gotten 
I've gotten a lot of mileage out of my Avenger bolt throwers because they're so small, kind of putting them up on elevated terrain where they're hard to get to and have wider arcs of fire because they can kind of shoot over stuff. And you've got four of them. So I would encourage you to do that as much as you can. So if you get those like us terrain pieces that have that elevated um, uh, uh, thing, you know, basically elevated platform at the top and they're within six inches of the edge of the board, throw an Avenger bolt thrower there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that'd be a, a great play for it. All right. Those are my thoughts. Um, I, I think, I think Devin really hit it on the key though. Cause so, okay. So if, if we take away the Avenger bolt thrower, it's an 800 point list. So this is an 800 point list. When, when you only have Boromir and he doesn't really have any protection like Lady of Light or another hero to help him out. I, I think that kind of really hurts it. So even something like upgrading maybe Ingle to Huron or something like that, just give Boromir a little bit more help. Because I know I know Rainier would be happy with the with the total number of models. Um because you know he always likes to go heavy on the, the, the model count because and especially with uh with the banner, you'd have a lot of fight five in the back as well. So you'd win a lot of fights in that regard. I, I think you need another hero to help Boromir out in the fights. And honestly, you might even need a third hero to be, because I, I think it's great that you have this many models, but I don't know that it's necessary to have this many models. Um, I, I think you need to downgrade a little bit. And I get what you're doing with Denethor to make it so that Boromir can go in completely and do whatever he needs to do and not have to worry about this and that. But again, at a thousand points, it's going to be difficult to keep him protected because there's going to be a lot of big models out there that are going to be hunting for him. Um, so that, that makes it a little bit interesting with uh, Denethor as an aspect as well. Um, what I want to ask you guys is, are you happy with Ingold included in this list or would you change him to another model? I'd probably change him. I, I actually was going to mention that thought is the fact that Boromir is going to get shut down completely at a thousand points. They'll be lucky not to run into something and take him out. And that's it. That's all you've got that threatens other than these, you know, horde of troops, I guess. Which in itself And four Avenger bolt throwers. So, well, yeah, you do have the four Avenger. But, I mean, any big hero can hide in combat uh, to, to stop themselves from dealing with them. So, yeah, although, I mean, what's going to take, what's going to shut Boromir down is not going to be big heroes. It's going to be guys, wizards and ring wraiths running around. I'm just um, thinking that they yeah, I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that the, I mean, one thing the four Avenger bolt throwers are going to do is kind of keep those pesky ring rates on Felbeast at bay. I can definitely see that. I, um, I, I, yeah, I guess Bormir's kind of expected to do a lot here, and I guess Ingold. So as, as to Tim's point, I mean, I'm not. Okay, so first of all, I've, I've never really seen Ingold ever since they FAQ'd him into Oblivion. Right. <laughs> but Because uh, now I guess, from my understanding now, he just always traps your guys um, and allows double strikes if you use his ability. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think, no, I don't, I don't think that's... I forgot what the complaint was with him. Well, so, because, because by definition it says, like, he doesn't have to back up, but then I think there was the argument where if he couldn't back up, does that mean he's trapped or something like that? Some 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 variation on that, I think. All right. So I, I think we at one point in the past we parsed out this particular language in the FAQ, included that it did not mean that Ingle's special rule traps everybody that he's near. But what it does, 
what it does do is it, it really prevents you from getting much other benefit other than keeping your battle lines nice and pretty because nobody has to back up. Because if you were still going to get trapped, you're, you are still going to get trapped. Um, so there isn't, other than, other than kind of like organization on the battlefield, Ingle doesn't, Ingle's special ability doesn't get you anything, which doesn't mean that he isn't a, um, you know, three might defense. I can't remember if he's defense six or defense seven, but uh, I think maybe defense seven. Yeah. So he's a three might defense seven guy who can strike. I'd um, just rather have your defense and hold off someone that way. Well, I think the guy you probably want for this list is um, Kieran. Yeah. Cause you've got Denethor. So he's going to get, um, he's going to get the, the additional attack benefit when he's near um, Denethor. I mean, you'd have to sacrifice something to get him. Um, you could you could sacrifice one Avenger bolt thrower, and then um, upgrade Ingold to Huron, and and probably get some extra points to show, throw some more guys into Denethor's warband, which probably wouldn't be a bad thing. So so let me let me pose this question. I know I know he wanted a, an opinion on if he kept the four bolt throwers, but let's do a hypothetical in case we set, we were going, okay, how do we make this so that you get Avenger bolt throwers, but also it makes it a better list. So let's say you took away two Avenger bolt throwers. What are you doing with those extra points? What are you, are you dropping anybody else down to add stuff in? Like, are you maybe take away a hundred points? You add lady of light, take away a few models. How, how would you improve this? If you were allowed to take away two Avenger bolt throwers. I think yeah, I would up. Sorry. <laughs> Pick call on somebody, Tim. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I'll go to Devin first. Oh, well, I just keep him in mind here. He didn't. He, I, I think that was the main thing he didn't want taken out of his list. But well, no, I, I'm doing. I'm. I'm saying. I'm saying we talked about. How, yeah. No, we're talking about. He said he didn't want the four out, and I think we've given decent reasons of what to do or not to do based on having the four. But I think if he was willing to. Let's say, like, go of two of them up to two. If you wanted to just take away one, for example, what would you guys do to change it to make it better? But there has to be at least two bolt throwers in there. So, if you take out two bolt throwers of 100 points, I actually be very tempted to see if I could upgrade Ingold. Um, actually, out of curiosity, what, what's Emer Hill's um, point cost? 135 one, fully? I think it's 155. I think it's 155 fully kitted. Okay, so you wouldn't be able to do that because then you'd still need to upgrade these words means Terathu's troop type. So you probably won't get the glorious combo of so I would probably so you gotta keep Denethor because he's clearly just someone to bulk out the troops. I'd keep Madrill just because, okay, I guess he wants to make sure that in uh Maelstrom battles he can get around his Avengers with minimal effort. So then, yeah, realistically, it'd be upgrading Ingold if you did that, and you only went as far as Hurin. Because I, other than that, I would take thinking Emerhill. Uh, I'm trying. I don't know if I'd take Forlong over Hurin. I think I'd probably take Hurin over Forlong. So realistically, yeah, I guess you would upgrade to Hurin, which would cost you another twenty points, and then. What you'd probably do from there is upgrade these some of these warriors of Minas Tirith to Fountain Court Guard uh, from there and just give yourself that ability to hold the line a lot better. Um, 
especially since it's a thousand points, you're gonna be dealing with a lot of terror stuff, which is an argument for four long. But well, no, because this is pure Gondor, so you get plus one courage everywhere. Yeah, plus one yeah. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So um and you 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 got you got no shortage of um yeah, of of bodyguard guys that you can throw in. Yeah, here. the ranges are like courage five at this point. Oh no, no they're uh, courage four. Yeah, no, yeah, they're, they're courage four. Um, um, yeah, no, I mean, that's pretty much my initial thought just because, I mean, other than that, for, I mean, you could, you know, um, yeah, Emer Hill, but I mean, yeah, her and that's my initial thought off the top of my head. What were you thinking, Matt? Yeah. So, I mean, I agree. I would just change Ingle to Huron and there, there's still spaces left in this army, especially if, if you go from Ingold's, um, hero fortitude to Huron's hero of valor so i would just spend more points getting more troops yeah um in you know roughly the same ratio of you know rangers of gondor guys with shields they can stand in front and then you know a handful of either citadel guards or guards of the fountain court actually that makes a lot of sense there's space in everyone's warband yeah yeah i didn't even yeah i'm now counting i'm like except for boromir boromir is full but um everybody else has space so i think i I think you just get more guys yeah and and I don't know what, I mean, you could also do this, by the way, if you just drop one Avenger bolt thrower, that would be enough points to upgrade Ingold to Huron and then get, you know, a few more guys, probably keep your model count roughly the same as it was without the Avenger bolt thrower. Um, and, and I guess one thing I will point out about the Avenger bolt thrower is because it is a good siege engine, um, it's utility diminishes you, you get there's a law of diminishing returns um because the avenger bolt thrower starts to be useless when the army lines come together because then they tend to run out of targets and uh you the more avenger bolt throwers you can the more you, or you have in your army the more the amount of points you have that become useless when the two army lines clash uh so if you're going to go with this number of avenger bolt throwers you need to kind of come up with a plan to keep them useful, which is why I was kind of thinking out loud about that. You know, put a put a put a hollow blob in the middle of the board, let him surround it, and use the Avenger bolt throwers to kind of pick off the spears around the outside. Um, that's you know that that's a way to kind of keep them relevant once the battle lines get together. Is make sure you get surrounded basically, so you can give those Avenger bolt throwers that are behind your lines something to shoot at uh, after the lines have um, come together. Oh, and I want to clarify this, all this advice for me is uh, trying to keep it pure factioned. Uh, that's my assumption. So for those of you out there screaming, why not lady of light? That's why we didn't pick that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why I'm also trying to stay away from the fiefdoms because that starts to change it into a, a very yeah. different list. Okay. Um, thank you for your list, Johnny. Let us know if you make any changes or if you if you take any of what we said into consideration and let us know how you do at the tournament. Uh, post that in the comments as well after the tournament happens. Um, I think he's going to throw in a skull. So actually how well he does is how friendly and cool he is. <laughs> so like... Oh, I guess, I guess one point that rarely comes up but will come up with this list is doesn't he need to keep four Minas Tirith heroes in this list so he he can get the four. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true too. You need one per <laughs> per siege uh, engine. Yep. So yeah. you'd have to do her and you couldn't even go for long. Yeah, you couldn't go um for long. Okay. 
Um, it's probably not the better option to do anyway. So yeah, <laughs> uh, we're going to move into the main topic for today, which is speaking about good versus evil in tournaments. So, so uh, just just to be clear, Tim, are we talking about good tournaments versus evil tournaments? Are we talking about being good versus being evil in tournaments? Um, or are we talking about good versus evil tournaments? Just, you know, just so I'm clear. You know, I think we pick out of a hat and then whatever number, we go with that one. So if we, I prefer we two, we go with that. Person in tournaments. <laughs> I, I, think, I think your response after channeling Bilbo in response to Mike Gandalf is to say, well, I guess all of those. <laughs> almost. Almost came up with that. Yeah. Um, That'd be interesting, though, right? Being good in a tournament, being versus being evil. <laughs> Is it good to be a scumbag in tournaments? <laughs> what, what do you get out of being good in a tournament versus being evil in a tournament? Yeah. Or, or is this a is this a good tournament or is this an evil? It's an evil tournament. tournament. <laughs> so there's three episodes right there. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Andrew, if you want to go over, um, what are some of the things you've enjoyed about being? a part of the, the community that has mostly good versus evil, anything you like, anything you dislike, a quick little summary of what you enjoy about good versus evil or what you hate. Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll start off with kind of how we came to be a mostly good versus evil and now basically exclusively good versus evil um, store, which is uh, the first probably six events I went to, we had probably 80% good armies and 20% evil armies. And we just told people to bring one. And uh, the the organizers, so myself, John, and Evan, always wound up having to play evil. So we're like, we painted up all these good armies because we tried to keep it good versus evil, right? So we're thinking we painted up all these good armies. We're never going to get to use them. Like, what can we do about this? That was kind of the start of it. Um, and we also, I think just generally from a thematic perspective, we like the good versus evil concept. I think having evil armies versus evil armies we had no issue with that. We thought those were really fun. Um, but just like trying to grow the community in our store, seeing people, you know, come in and watch games of fiefdoms versus like the great company. Uh, we just felt like it maybe wasn't the best for, for the branding of, of middle or strategy battle game at our store. Uh, Cause we're, you know, we're definitely not an exclusively competitive scene. I mean, everybody plays for different reasons, but I'd say for the most part uh, to your point earlier, Tim, I mean, just a bunch of people kind of uh, out to have fun, show off their newly painted armies and, you know, compete, but it's not, um, that, that's not kind of the sole focus. So uh, we came up with the idea actually from watching uh, your, your episode uh, with, I think it was a gentleman from Germany who was talking about how they do the good versus evil events. Uh, so I kind of got started with the idea from that and, and tried to kind of run with it a little bit. Um, so there's a couple of things we were worried about, right? What if you only have good or you only have evil? Are you going to feel like not included and, and that you can't participate? So we came up with, uh, we use basically the same rule that they have, which is um, you roll off at the beginning of the, the round. If you win the roll off, you can decide good versus evil. You tell your opponent basically what your two lists are beforehand. Uh, and if, if your opponent only has one, no matter who won the roll off, you get to pick if you play good versus evil. So there are instances where you could wind up having good versus good or evil versus evil. Um, but one of the things I love most about it is I think the gameplay mechanic that you know Matt was just talking about with the bolt throwers, right? Like I really like that there's clear, unique abilities that evil factions have shooting into combat, right? Denying heroic combats, like all of this tactical gameplay 
that it makes the evil armies feel like more fun and more interesting and like they have more tricks and then the good guys are just better fighters you know better heroes generally speaking and we liked that theme we, we liked that you know kind of choice where you had to pick which of those you wanted to bring and depending on the scenario uh you know determine kind of what what list you wanted to bring so i'd say those are the things that we generally like about it um from a competitive perspective i think there's definitely some units that go way up in value uh, when you're playing good versus evil. And we can talk about that maybe a little bit later. Um, and also, you know, vice versa, right? Some, some units and some armies that maybe aren't as competitive. Um, I always talk about like elves are fight five for good side, right? The only way you're getting that on evil is with half trolls, which is not really a very commonly run list. So if you take elves on your good side, you know you're winning all the fights against the basic troops. There's no other option for evil. Um, so that's that's kind of a con, right? Like you shouldn't be able to just take an army and know, you know, if elves, for example, were going up against the list we just talked about, they have Barmir with the fight four going up to fight five, and now you're even, and they still have the elven blades. But there's there's a little bit less thinking that goes into playing a list like that. So those are some of the negatives where there's clearly more favorable options and more favorable armies. Okay. Um, is there anything through, how many tournaments would you say you've, you've helped now since making this a thing? I would say probably in the neighborhood of 10 or so, maybe. 10 tournaments, okay. Is there anything you, you've learned that maybe you thought was a good idea that didn't end up working out or something that you wish you could change a little bit about the format? Is that specifically to good versus evil or? Yeah, so like, for example, maybe, so like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when I went to the tournament, um, I only had, uh, at the time, cause I wanted to get the painting points. Uh, I only had an evil army painted, so I only took evil. And so it forced people to play good lists when perhaps maybe they didn't want to. I think you've mentioned that now you're allowed to pick good or evil, but at the time it was a rule that you had to play good. So I could plan my list to just play against good armies rather than having to worry about evil if that makes sense so that was a little bit of an advantage where i if if i wanted to try to i didn't i didn't intend to uh, abuse this rule i just simply that's what i had painted i wanted to take that kind of a thing but if i wanted to try and focus on that maybe you could abuse that a little bit where you go okay i know i'm going against good let me put as much things as i can to deal with the good armies as possible so i'm just wondering if there's anything else like that you've noticed or if that was pretty much the only thing perhaps you saw yeah, I think so far that was the big one, because I, I think, like I said earlier, for the most part, people just want to play their armies, right? So it'll be more of a rotating between good and evil. And, you know, when I played against you at that event, I, I knew you were a strong player. So I, I picked my better army regardless of it ha happened to be good, but I picked the one I thought would be stronger. Um, so, yeah, that, that was an issue, kind of forcing people to play uh, one army if somebody didn't have the opposite that we kind of adjusted along the fly. Um, but other than that, I mean, like I said, other than kind of the elf issue slash, um, you know, just maybe in my opinion, for example, like the evil armies, you're better off going as low fight as possible because most good armies will probably outfight you unless you're playing maybe like fight for a horde with Corsairs or Isengard. So I think that that means that Goblin Town, that Moria, like lists that maybe aren't as popular actually become a lot more competitive because if you're going to sacrifice winning on fight value why not go as low as possible just spam out troop so 
again, we haven't really had many of these issues because it's kind of a diverse player base who doesn't have, you know, every army in the game. They're, they're playing with their kind of two to five armies that they have available to them um, and, and, you know, adjusting on the fly to that. So we haven't seen that as an issue, but that's something I could kind of foresee, uh, especially if we get kind of more competitive players coming down, um, that it could potentially be an issue in the future. I, I liked the how you mentioned how you did it to kind of grow the community as well. I thought it's a really cool idea that um, you did it specifically because it, it's a good point. You know, if you're watching a game, you want to see Urukai versus Rohan. You don't really want to see Rohan versus Minas Tirith necessarily because it looks a lot cooler to see those two armies against each other. Do you believe if you had done had not done it, I guess, do you think your uh, community would have grown as quickly or do you think that it was just more like a coincidence that everybody just started to join. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I actually think it did um, kind of help grow the community a bit quicker because there were people who had just one army. So I only have good or I only have evil. And they kind of got started on, on their second army as a result of making this change. Uh, and again, we didn't want to penalize anybody. So if you only had one, that was fine. But I think it inspired people. And now people are thinking rather than, oh, what army am I going to bring to the next event? It's what two armies am I going to bring? And I think it just makes it doubly as exciting and, and people want to tweak their lists just, you know, ever so slightly or maybe add a new ally in. So I have the same main force, but maybe, you know, my Serpent Horde has Corsairs in at this time and it's pure next time. And it, it, adds, it adds for just a lot more kind of flexibility. And from a competitive and tactical perspective, you can go a lot of ways with two armies, right? You can have one that is going to win every single objective game and then the other one be so aggressively slanted towards maybe assassination type missions or something like that. And then you hope you win the roll off, right? So you can get as aggressive with it or conservative with it as you want, which is something that I really like as, as uh, you know, a list builder. I, I really think a lot tactically about what my list will do well and poorly against. And I actually try to mitigate that with my other list uh, as much as I can. Have you had, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Matt. Um, if, I, I'm curious because you, 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 you know, you talked about how the evil players were starting to, um, you know, kind of play down with fight value, thinking, well, if I'm going to be, you know, if I'm fight two, it doesn't matter whether I'm hitting fight four or fight five. Anything that's invested in anything more than fight three is wasted points. But I'm wondering if you're starting to see like a meta arise down there um, in the lists that you're seeing. Yeah, I'd say from, from our regulars, they they tend to kind of mix things up as much as possible. But I would say the meta is really like the big armies that you would expect that everyone gets excited to paint and play. So a lot of Minas Tirith, a lot of Isengard, uh, a lot of Mordor. Like most lists I go against when I'm playing good are, are Mordor, right? Like Tim came over and he brought Mordor and Serpent Horde Alliance. Uh, there's another guy that won a recent event. Um who, who played like a pure Mordor list last time I played him. So I would say the key, the main, and Isengard, I think is by far the most popular list at our, in our meta, one of the legions or um, pure or Dunland. Uh, so I think at our store, they really get passionate about like the big moments from the films. So a lot of legendary legions. Um, I think it really is kind of getting inspired from the lore and then taking that into an army and seeing how they can make the best version of that possible. Um, so I'd say that's kind of the meta is more like the big armies. 
And so me as, as kind of a tournament organizer, I am constantly working on like the lesser loved armies in the game and trying to make them as good as possible to show people like, Hey, there's, there's more to the game than, than just the core armies. So I've got like Far Harad, I'm working on Numenor now, uh, just lists that you don't really see, we don't see as often. Um, and, and I think I get a lot of times I put my models down and not everybody, there's some like really competitive players, but I put my models down and they're like, you know, what does the watcher in the water do? What does uh, <laughs> Ellen deal do? You know, like that stuff. And uh, for me, it's more fun to just be like, Hey, I'm opening you up to more aspects of the game kind of thing. So it sounds to me based on the way, the way you're describing your community is that they're all like kind of newer four years or less kind of playing experience. I imagine. Am I wrong on that? Well, so I am actually in that category. So I actually can't even answer that question. I, I just started uh, basically when the new edition released and then COVID hit. So I've only been playing myself for about maybe a year and a half. Um, oh. and I, I just kind of dove in. I connected with the guys at the store pretty quickly. I live close by. Um, I was telling Matt earlier that Evan, who's one of the guys I run the events with, lives like down the street from me. Just coincidentally, we didn't know each other before this. So um yeah, I, I would say there are guys who have played since the very first edition, um, oh, okay. but but do it more as just like a fun, like hobby kind of thing. And now they're getting into the like regular gaming more often. Um, we have some guys from Rainier's group come up regularly. I'd say they're kind of the, the more competitive players that come to our events typically. Um, and and yeah, everything in between. But there's there's a lot of people that I've seen like new faces just coming in, starting with Eleanor Fields, and and you know I'm giving them tips on heroes to add and, and armies you can ally in. Um, so a lot of those like kind of beginner armies, I'd say you're probably yeah. right there. Because that's what yeah, when, when you're saying like you have a saturation of mortal organizing guard, generally it's an indication that you have a new community where like because that's usually the armies you start with Gondor, Mordor, stuff like that. So you don't start seeing Far Harad and stuff until people have really branched out because um, of how expensive they are. One, the two, like, you know, it, it just isn't usually the armies you start with since they, they don't see them in the films. So, but no, that makes sense. So I, I have to say, I'm a really big fan of the, the two armies uh, aspect of it. Cause I know for myself personally, I always look at lists of what I want to take and I always come down to two lists and it, it you know, it's usually one good one evil actually weirdly enough. Uh, and I think it's really cool that you can kind of both as a beginner and as an expert um, get to play the army you want because it's lower points and still have a tactical decision to make on, because we, we always talk about this when you have lower points, you really have to start deciding what's more worth it at those points. And so it really makes you think of, you know, I want Boromir, but is he worth it at this many points at, let's say, 500 points? Is he worth taking over, you know, maybe someone like Huron and just adding more troops to that matter? So I really like that you guys do a, um, a good because I know I always go back and forth. It was like, you know, Lake Town or Mordor or Harad, that kind of a thing. So I, I think that's a really cool aspect about your tournament. Um, do you notice your community more growing in a competitive sense, or would you say it's more kind of casual players who just enjoy playing for fun and they're just going to kind of stay that way? Or do you think it's kind of rising in competitiveness? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, I would actually say it's probably mostly still on the casual side. I think most people are not kind of min-maxing their lists all the time. Um, but I would say once they show up with whatever it is they've brought in, whatever it is they've brought to the event, um, everyone's playing to win. 
you know, so it's, it's not like a, whatever, let's just laugh and have a good time. Like people are trying to do the best they can, but it's more like, Hey, let me recreate this awesome scene from the movies or the lore that's not talked about. Um, you know, had someone come with like a, an Earl the Young list recently, which I wouldn't consider the most competitive, but they did all these cool conversions and stuff. So I'd say that's kind of the foundation. Um, but I do think having kind of some competitive players coming to our events, like I said, I think it tends to be, I consider myself on the more competitive side and also um, like the Philadelphia group who's, who's come out quite a bit. Um, I think that helps a lot because it makes people kind of rethink their lists a bit. And as they see kind of the, the tactical maneuvers that some of these more advanced players are making, I really do think it's opening up kind of people's minds and they're, they're starting to develop more as players, which is nice. Do you think that um, your community would like to keep it more friendly based or do you think they'd be open to more competitive people getting there and raising the level of competition, would you say? Let me just rephrase that question, Andrew. Do you think that your player base would like to keep relationships friendly or do you think that they would prefer to get more unfriendly <laughs> well uh we, we are considering our evil tournament that we're going to run where the tournament <laughs> itself is evil um so it's a random Extra amount points, of points if you knife we, your opponent in the back yeah <laughs> <laughs> we send you the uh points amount an hour before the event and it's a randomly generated number so you don't know what to bring before you start driving uh just all kinds of ways to make it an evil evil tournament it sends you a text um, of what weapon to bring <laughs> <laughs> but i would say I, I think our group is is always going to be kind of more on the fluff and and fun uh side generally speaking right like I, I do think people are trying to improve their gameplay but i will say i think as long as people come and they play competitively if you're having a nice conversation with them and and you're you know kind of going back and forth it's still it's still enjoyable for us uh, Alisher, who who just won, you know, that huge event recently, um, frequently would come to our events and and usually win because uh, he's incredibly talented player. Um, but so we all have stories about playing him and and you know mostly losing, but it's not like you know deteriorated anybody's level of of the gameplay. I, I think people actually enjoy it because it's almost like oh he's almost playing a different game than I am. I'm still trying to pick up on you know, some of these tricks that he's doing. So I, I think it's a good balance that we have right now, but I do think it'll always kind of favor the, you know, more friendly, fun atmosphere and and concentrating on the lore. Okay. Was there anything in particular that you had on your mind that um, you were interested in speaking about the tournament, whether that be good versus evil tournaments or your tournaments in particular that just interests you about speaking about? Is there anything you had in your mind that I know we talked earlier, you mentioned you bring them up and later on in the episode. Um, is there anything you wanted to speak about specifically? Yeah. So I wanted to ask, obviously I know Tim came out to our event, Matt and Devin, have you guys ever done a strictly uh, good versus evil style uh, event before? Funny. You should ask. Um, so, uh, so that, that's a good segue for me to pitch shadow in the East, which um, anybody who, who stays or follows the ASBGA or New England SBG um, Facebook pages will see. I just put the tournament pack up for, but um, the last three years, well, we skipped a COVID year, but prior to that, um, the last uh, couple of events we've done have been narrative events. And, uh, you know, basically it's billed as a narrative tournament. And, so it, it is it is good versus evil. 
And basically you sign up to be on a team and you're either on team good or you're on team evil. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you know, for, for each round, you and your teammates, um, there's some jockeying for a position to see who's going to fight on which uh, terrain board against which opponent. Um, but, you know, you and your teammates are kind of trying to engineer the right team mix of, um, you know, all right, so I want my, you know, defense aid dwarves uh, to be um, fighting the, uh, you know, the, the rod bow fire so they can just march into the bow fire and march at the other side or, or you know, m- maybe my elves are going to fight better in on the Mirkwood board because there's a lot of terrain and you try and figure that out. Um, and, you know, you basically fight five or six rounds of, you know, everybody on this side against everybody on that side. And instead, uh, you know, in the, the point of that tournament is not who's going to, you know, which individual is going to win. It's which team is going to win. And you try and engineer it so that you get a team victory. And, you know, there tends to be various other tricks and shenanigans going on i think we talked about some about some of the earlier shadow in the east that we've done where one point like the somebody was playing a fellowship army and the fellowship fellowship army was for some reason unbeknownst to the evil player was steadily kind of marching its way from the shire board to the mordor board and it wasn't kind of until like the very last round that the evil players realized oh crap the the ring is moving to Mordor, and maybe there's some significance to that. Um, and uh, so, you know, we we have some fun, and we do like different tricks each time. But but anyway, if 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 folks are interested in that type of good versus evil uh, tournament, that's coming up again in February at Captain Con and Warwick Rhode Islands. All right, so that's my pitch for for my tournament. But anyway, that's the good versus evil variant that 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 at least I've done. Um, and Devin, I don't know if you've ever put on a good versus evil one, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Not in recent times that you've been playing. I, there was uh, a long period of time where I pretty much ran all the tournaments in like our area. Um, so, which sounds absurd nowadays, but this is before like the Facebook groups this is before, you know, largely before most of these YouTube channels and stuff. So um, before, I mean, Hobbit even existed. So yes, in the past, the long past. Uh, but not anymore. No, I've actually pretty much retired myself into only running Nova. And that's all I run. So, uh, which I refuse to make into a good versus evil tournament. So, um, so yeah, I guess not anymore. So, <laughs> I, I have to say, oh, go ahead, Tim. I, I just want to, I just want to make a further. If, if anybody's interested in Mastrum as well, I've been to all but one, which was the last one. I have to say, I was part of the the stupid evil team who didn't figure out that the ring was going to Mordor. That was a that was a mind blowing. Uh, <laughs> when I tell you guys, let, let me be completely clear. It was me and like eight other people. Not one of us had any clue what they were doing. None. I was actually thoroughly shocked. I'm like, you had a fellowship <laughs> player starting in the Shire and going directly to Mordor. <laughs> like, I was like, I've heard this story not- before. <laughs> Not one of <laughs> yeah. us. Not one I was like, us. how did they not? Like, you guys were like almost basically too late by the time you even thought about oh, it. Oh, we had zero, zero clue whatsoever. Not so <laughs> focused on me. I was just like, all right, I guess I'll well, so. So, for anyone who didn't know, if if um, Matt, what was the what was the what did the good team get if they got the ring to mortar? What was the reward? Um, so, they if the good, yeah, if, if if the good team got the ring to Mordor, they won. 
Um, and uh, if it, what the evil team knew and the good team didn't know was it if they succeeded in um, basically wiping out the fellowship. Because the other thing about the fellowship army is my son was playing it and, you know, it, it was the fellowship. So when he took losses, those losses were permanent. Um, so, you know, you know, the fellowship was getting chipped away kind of as it went toward uh, Mordor. And what, uh, what the evil players were told was, look, if you kill Frodo with the ring um, and you get the ring, then basically whoever does it gets Sauron and like gets Sauron for the rest of the tournament. There's another reason to hunt them down. So oh, yeah, exactly. believe me. We were we were just trying to think of who did, who can get Sauron like the, every, <laughs> our whole, that's why we were so fo- that's why we didn't pick that we were just so focused on okay somebody has to get Sauron in this tournament somebody yep. has to find a way to get Sauron added to their list because at that point it's pretty much over like Sauron with an eight, what was it eight hundred points Matt right yeah it was eight hundred points Sauron so you get eight hundred points, points plus plus Sauron. Yeah, yeah I mean you, you win at that point so it, we were just so focused on that we forgot about but. If you're interested in, it's a very, it's like Matt said, it's not competitive in the sense of individuals. It's a team competitiveness, which I actually think is a really refreshing take on the game. It's a lot of fun. Definitely come down if you're interested in that. It's, it's like he said, it's good versus evil as well. Yeah. Very, very, very fun to play against. And, um, and this, this year, by the way, just to, to let everybody know what kind of, well, one of the twists is going to be, there's going to be a variety of twists, but one of them is this is an escalation tournament. So um, you're, responsible for bringing five different army list um totals uh and you you don't need to like typically an escalation tournament like you're going to be mordor and you have like i have the 400 point mordor the 600 point mordor the 800 point mordor i actually don't care what armies you bring as long as they're evil and they fit within the the war of the ring time frame so if you want to bring like a you know a 400 point um Moria and a 600 point Mordor and a uh, 800 point Harad, more power to you. Um, so, you know, if you want to bring a whole bunch of different armies and like kind of throw them on the table and, and see what happens um, for this particular narrative event, that will work perfectly. Okay. Um, do you have anything else, Andrew, uh, that you wanted to speak about or anything you had any questions about, anything like that? Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to ask uh, the guys here. Um, especially since you guys have played a lot more competitive events than I have. Um, do your tactics, like just generally speaking, I know we could go into every single army, but do your tactics change when you know you have a good army and you're going up against evil or, or vice versa? Uh, some things that come to mind for me are like, you know, targeting their courage mitigation. If an evil army has a shaman, that's like a very high priority for me if I'm playing my good force. Um, trying to break evil armies if I can get rid of their kind of stand fast and stuff like that. So I just wanted to see if there's anything that kind of stood out to you guys uh, from, from your matchups of good versus evil that maybe changed the way you play the game a bit. I think a, not in-game tactics so much not off the top of my head is list building. That's what will change pretty dramatically. Um, there are certain units that I don't even bother bringing as much in good versus evil. I'm trying to think of some immediate examples, but I think half trolls come to mind because as weird as it sounds, good has access to more terror than evil does. Um, well, th- in the sense that they can create like terror bubbles. So like half trolls are kind of weak to that. Um, I don't deal with that as much going against evil armies. Um, so little things like that, certain units sort of activate. I think 
I do try harder to get elves into the list if I'm dealing with good versus evil. I it kind of, as you mentioned, they kind of like stack the five values higher. So that's something that, you know, will change. Um, I think Lady of Light becomes a little bit more prominent because she's just such a hard counter to pretty much everything evil wants to throw out. So um, I think Lady of Light, that's another big change <laughs> that gets thrown in. I'm trying to think of how I tailor my evil forces, but I mean, realistically, hero shutdown models. But I mean, like, how much does that really change too much? Um Trying to think of Mac, you when you go to like you know Colorado and stuff, how, how do you think of it differently? Because I, I know for a fact I do in list building. So <clears throat> I guess what I'm thinking about it is it depends kind of what I think the evil meta is going to do or going to be. Because I mean, there's basically three. There's there's three um, kind of evil metas, right? There's a magic based meta where the army is centered around around Sauron or some combination of ring wraiths. You know, there's a terror based meta where, you know, you're fighting either like Angmar or black Numenorians. And then there's like a horde based meta. Um, well, actually I guess there's four, there's a horde based meta, um, which is you're just fighting a lot of guys. And then there's kind of a subset of the horde based meta, which is horde of shooting based uh, armies. Um and you kind of have to do some thinking about because you can't really construct a good army that can counter all of those things. And I guess you got to do some prediction about what you're going to what you're going to face and what you're going to go up against. Because the way you the way you counter kind of the horde or the horde shooting type army is going to be different than if you're dealing with, you know, the terror army or even the, the magic army. Um, you know, which is actually a question I was going to kind of ask is, you know, the, the evil armies that you're seeing down there, Andrew, which categories do they tend to fall into? Yeah, so it's funny. And I actually wanted to ask Tim about this because I remember he mentioned when he reviewed the list on the podcast with you guys that he brought to our list that he had Lady of Light in mind. So I'd like to get his thoughts as well. But um, I think you pretty much see a ring wraith in most lists that you go against, uh, whether it's someone playing Angmar or Mordor, that's like very common for us. Uh, so to Devin's point, right, you've got Lady of Light to protect your own guys, to banish, uh, you know, the ring wraiths. I would say that's the most common. Uh, and then I am the kind of horde of fight for Corsair or uh, horde of shooting uh, with the betrayer and, and the serpent horde guy. So you've got a little bit of that as well. Um, we don't have a ton of Goblin Town. We do have a couple guys who play that. So that mass, mass spam, I would say we see less. Um, so I think kind of that, that shooting spam is pretty common. And, you know, the couple caster uh, list is pretty common as well. But I remember Tim, when he came, he didn't bring any casters. And he was trying to, like, make his list as, like, a counterplay to the assumption that people were taking Lady of Light. Right, Tim? Uh, so basically, yeah. So I I thought um, at 650 with the fact that you wouldn't really see many Lady of I didn't think that there was going to be almost any Lady of Lights because I just thought at that point you have close to a 500 point list with the Lady of Light. And I'm not, I wasn't sure that there would be that good of a list if it had Lady of Light plus 500 points unless it was, let's say, Lake Town. Like Matt always talks about that 350 combo where you get like 36 39 troops plus the three heroes 
Um, so I wasn't sure that that would be there, but I was willing to take my risk that it wouldn't be there. Um, and I figured to myself, if I didn't take any kind of big heroes and she was there, I wasn't going to see a, a, a compel or a, I'm sorry, on the good side, it's command and um, mobilize. Because if you're taking Lady of Light, who was obviously the most prevalent caster, it means you're not going to get another compel. So if you take Gandalf or Saruman or Radagast, like, yeah, you can compel me, but you're not really stopping my shooting. So I kind of took a lot of bows. And so I figured at that points level, if you're going to get one thing, I'm going to take advantage of the other. So if you bring Blinding Light with Lady of Light, well, she's not doing anything besides giving you Blinding Light and fighting. She's not going to stop my heroes because I didn't take any wraiths. Um, and if you decide to take a regular wizard, which again, I didn't expect because obviously if you took regular Galadriel, she's the cheapest, but even if you took Radagast, he's 150. So it's the same concept where you get a 500 point list around Radagast. And I just didn't see that happening. Um, and if you wanted Saruman or Gandalf, that's 170, 180. Um, so I just didn't see wizards happening. So I was like, if I come against Lady of Light, I'm just going to fight straight up. And if I don't come up against Lady Light, I'm probably not going to see a wizard. So it just made sense for me to try to take advantage of that whole situation. But, yeah, that's right. Oh, go ahead, Tim. Oh, no, I was just going to say, basically, that that was my, my thought process behind what I why I took um, the list that I did. A lot of that, though, has less to do with good and evil versus more to do with the points that you were expecting to be. Machine. Well, yeah, but that's, that's basically why I thought, because uh, I knew it was 650. And so I knew that Lady of Light was obviously prevalent. And if they weren't going to take her, they're probably not taking a wizard. So at that point, it's just a fighting match. So if I take heroes who are cost effective, but do their job along with a lot of numbers, because I think I ended up having like 45 total models, um, I could take advantage of that situation. So I so, took- No, what I'm saying is like, I don't, I don't know how that would change much different if it was a good on good or evil on evil. Like I, I would- it, once you've ruled out the the main hard counters to the uh, good versus evil meta, which is, you know, Lady of Light and stuff like that, then it just kind of becomes like, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to understand. What, I'm just not. Well, I don't know that you would have played much differently. Like if it's, say, say the tournament was not good versus evil at all. Mm-hmm. And you just went into there at 650. I'd be thinking still the same thing. Just now you also think, all right, Goulevar is not going to be there or whatever, possibly, which honestly, I think, some might fit them in, but, but what I'm saying is like, I don't know what would change. What would be different about? So, okay, you- so I'll give an example. If I take good, and I know I'm going against evil, I know I can come up against a bunch of budget ringmates. I know I can come against the Witch King on Fell Beast. I know I can come against casters of that resort. When I knew that I'm playing evil and I'm only going to play good, because at the time, like I said, I, I only took one army because I just, like I said, I was lazy and I didn't feel like painting them. But I knew at that point I was only going to play good armies. So I knew that based on points, it wasn't as customizable as it is for evil. So it depends. If I took good, then I knew that I could come against magic at any time. If I take evil, then I know that there's only one model I really had to worry about. Oh, okay. Got it. Because you you got to select whether you wanted to play good or wanted to play evil. Yeah. So, so and, and, and so, so by choosing to play as evil, I knew that there's one model I have to worry about. If I choose good, I have to worry about several models. Got different okay. points variations. Okay, no, that makes sense. Then, um, yeah, I don't know if uh, you guys might agree with this one, but another one I, I often try to make sure I get in is R of Dismay. 
evil armies. Oh, I love Orc Dismay. I love Orc I think Dismay. our evil armies have a harder time dealing with terror than good armies do. Like, besides the Odd Fury, um, which now shamans aren't even as common anymore. No. But, um, but yeah, that's another thing that I usually try to fit in. So I always try to fit in more of dismay. Like if you can, if you can find a way to fit um, Lady of Light with Radagast or Lady of Light with Kyrden, and then get a minus one for that as well. I mean, that is really not fun for the evil player. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, I will say I find that Lady of Light's impact on terror um, is less than it would otherwise be because you end up with a lot of people who are starting their charges outside of her six inch zone so mm-hmm. they don't get penalized because it's only six inches as opposed to the ring race 12. It's it's very easy for somebody. I mean, obviously, if you're a guy on foot and you're going to charge Galadriel, you're going to you're, you're taking the minus one. But um, if you know, if, if what you're doing is trying to charge somebody who's three inches away from Galadriel, um, <laughs> you know, who's covered by aura of dismay or something like that, you're, the odds are you're not going to be taking the minus one for that because you're starting somewhere outside of her bubble and then charging into it. Well, I mean, it depends. So I get what you're saying, but so for example, that first turn that you charge in, um, obviously you're probably just outside of the, the bubble. So it doesn't affect you at that point. But most of the time when we have the, the fights, you know, they're an inch apart. And if you keep your army organized well enough, then you'll have that Aura of Dismay slash Galadriel combo where they'll be close together. So anything that comes basically within six inches of Galadriel, um, they're going to be close together in lines anyway. So if you get Galadriel close to the front of the line, it's going to be affected anyway. Because, I mean, I'm not saying you want to charge Galadriel in at every, every single chance, but she can very easily kill troops at fight six with three attacks. So you keep her safe, but you, you definitely attack things with her. So I get what you're saying, though. I, I just think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I guess that's my, my, my point is only is she's people think that she's as effective as a ring. Oh, rate not as, at, no. at, at, you know, preventing people from charging. And she's not because just because that bubble is so much smaller. If, and yes. you, you can do you can do weird stuff like, yeah, especially if you have some sort of a higher mobility army, like some sort of cavalry based army or something like that, where like, you know, the first turn you charge from outside or bubble in. And then, you know, if you want to, then you can then take somebody who's like inside of her bubble and then charge, you know, if you get priority, you charge further down the line at somebody who's outside of the terror bubble and you take somebody else who wasn't in her six inch bubble and charge in, you can do, you know, kind of things like that. But, but anyway, it's, I mean, you're, you're, you're not wrong to say that she, she creates a synergy with, or I, type I, I actually agree with you for most of it i think it's when you get to the really advanced parts where people know how to position things that that's where i think it starts to come into more of an advantage i would say for probably 90 percent of the time you are correct in the fact that it doesn't matter that much i think it's when someone finds a way to get that perfect bubble around themselves to you know people are charging in and maybe you're against a lesser opponent that becomes more effective um andrew i wanted to ask um i know that you, you, you keep to lower points. If you're, as your community grows and your community starts to play more, do you think you would raise your points or are you guys all really happy with the lower points because you can take more armies? Yeah, I, th- I think we, the highest we've gone so far is 700. Um, and I think um, just from listening to you guys and a lot of other people, it seems like 800 worldwide is kind of the, most people would agree the most like 
ideal points level for a skill intensive match, right? Like you both get all of the units that you want for the most part. Uh, and it's really just kind of who plays better. So as kind of the, the math and analytics guy, I think more points just reduces variance, right? Like if you, the lower points you have, you can get a lucky shot and, and kill a ring wraith. And that's a larger percentage of your opponent's army, for example, right? So I do think that 800 points is probably the ideal level to play at, which I think is what you guys probably are most used to. Um, and I think we'll get there at some point. I think the the desire for us to keep to one day events and, and not be another kind of weekend event might limit that a bit. So we might kind of try it and see how it works. But, um, you know, we, we try to keep the rounds to, I'm not sure how long your rounds are typically, but, uh, you know, to like an hour and a half, two hours. And again, we have some guys who are on the newer side, so they're not, you know, as, as um, quick to move their pieces around. So we're trying to find that balance. You know, we, we don't want to make it so unreasonable that it can't be a day long event. Um, but I, I think people would be excited to play just totally different armies, right? Like Barador, you can't play Barador at 650, right? 800 still not ideal, but it, it opens up a lot of armies that people wouldn't otherwise play. Uh, so that's something we're looking forward to. And I, I think we'll get there, but for now we're probably sticking in kind of the lower points range for a bit. And, and, and I want to make sure I, I'm not saying that, Oh, you know, when are you guys going to join the rest of us kind of a thing? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just trying to, I was just trying to make the point of, is that something of interest, do you think, to your group? Or is it that you're really happy with the lower points? I guess was the, the way I wanted to phrase that. Because um, I actually like that you guys have a very niche thing where you have lower points. I think it's good to have variety as a community of what, what to do and where to go. Um, I just wasn't sure if you guys are, you know, starting off as a group, you know, we're at lower points because people need armies and then we plan on growing up or if you guys are just really happy with that kind of points level and you're that's where you're going to be and then with the occasional higher game yeah i think that's probably right like i do think we'll go up to some of the bigger games we may even try like you know a thousand at one point um but i do think we'll be kind of in that more mid-range points level because we can get a few games in you know people can get home we've got some people that drive uh, someone from matt's group came down recently um, we've got people that come from DC, young Duke comes to a lot of our events and he drives four or five hours, comes to the event for the full day and drives four or five hours back home. So we want to keep it manageable, right? So that, uh, people can still do that. And, and I think bumping up to 800 or a thousand for just a day long event, either you've got to, you know, cut people down on time and, and really make the game end and just go to victory points early, which we don't like to do. We like to let people play it out if we can, because again, it's more, you know, friendly. Um, so yeah, we're, we're trying to strike that balance. I think we'll probably wind up still in the six, six fifty range for most events. And then, you know, like I said, we tried a lower points event recently. We'll probably try some higher ones just to see kind of what the community kind of latches onto, I think. Okay. Um, do you have any final questions, uh, Andrew for us or anything? Just one more point on the good versus evil, which is, um, you know, your shooting mitigation, right? the evil side only has the shadow Lord. Like that's the only thing that they can do to stop shooting. I know he can ally into a bunch of lists, but um, I just wanted to, I had that in my notes. It's like the good side has all the blinding light characters has Galadriel, obviously. Um, so I try to, whenever I'm building a good list, at least get those 33% bows um, in every list that I run, just because I feel like you're going to have most of the time, a couple rounds of, of free shots. So so be good for our, our buddy with the four Avenger bolt throwers, I think. Although I guess a cynic would say that 
um, like for example, the the goblin a goblin's anti shooting tech is another goblin. You know, and just you know, one goblin runs forward holding the other goblin in front of him, and when that guy dies, the person gets into combat. And you know, that's the the oft quoted maxim of you know, quantity has a quality all its own, and you can you know, against the list that only have like one third shooting. You know, if you're down at six hundred points. Um, you know, one third shooting is probably like no more than a dozen bows and, you know, a dozen bows against 60 goblins is, you know, it's like trying to empty the ocean with a, with a spoon. It's- evil. It still doesn't really make us play any different. Cause like if you're playing evil, I mean, unless you're playing Corsairs or Harad, your shooting is generally going to be not just subpar to good, but just subpar. <laughs> like, right. Right. I mean, so you really were kind of doing the same thing anyway like when i go to just blue on blue it doesn't matter tournaments uh i'm still playing evil expecting them to use bodies to handle shots you know and then using heroic march drums whatever um i think that a lot of evil players kind of go in with that mindset even if you have not even the higher numbers like angmar or like you know trying to think of anything else that's super you know but like angmar is a great example it's just like you have troops that are vulnerable to shooting you don't really have massive numbers because you're often bringing like gulivar and the witch king and stuff and barrel whites and you know so you really just take shots and you just hope that gulivar is going to make up the difference in his case or like sauron in his case because when you play sauron you think you get a horde but you don't like it's it, it's a horde but it's like you know not that many <laughs> once you factor in sauron's point cost um combined with whatever other minor hero you threw in there uh, so realistically, I don't think good receivable changes the way they play in response to shooting very much. I mean, they kind of already suck at it. So, well, uh, I, I get my, my point, I guess, was this, my point was that there, it's not that evil doesn't have anti-shooting tech. It's that they have different anti-shooting tech that isn't obviously anti-shooting tech. Oh, mine was in more response to Andrew rather than you. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, I agree with what you're saying. They just take shots to the face <laughs> as they just well, keep marching forward. Like this kind so, of so there's there's three types of anti-shooting tech that you quote tech that you should be th- thinking about when you're evil, right? And you know, and this is aside from the Shadow Lord. Um, one of them is numbers that we just talked about. The other of them is armor. Um, because once you can get up to, you know, you know, defense, you know, just giving guys shield and giving them to defense five will have the number of casualties you take from most bows. Uh, and then the third one is speed. Um, cause one thing you do have a lot of on the evil side is access to drums. Um, and you generally will have a bunch of captains that can march. And that's something else to think about when you're kind of building an anti good evil list is you know maybe you drop that that 30 points or 20 points if you're an easterling on the drum um to you know make sure you get you know that you're going to get like one or two rounds less of of shooting in there as i'm just saying i don't know how that would change on blue for blue or good versus evil like i don't see me with an army of easterlings thinking, oh, I have a chance of playing half good armies now. I'm going to drop the drum or, or you know, or I'm going to take the drum now. Like, I, I think I was just going to take it either way. Cause so, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I'd say this. <clears throat> if I am building a, like, a Mordor or an Urukai army, and I know I am just going to be fighting good, 
I am much more likely to take the drum in either of those two armies. I agree with that. I very much um, agree with that. Because, okay. yeah, yeah, if I'm building an army, yeah, if I'm, if I'm building an army that doesn't have like the Shadow Lord in it or something like that, I may be like, um, well, I'm going to throw in an extra captain to march quicker, or I'm going to buy this drum so that I can close quicker. Okay. So then I guess speed then is one thing we're adding. Uh, or some variant of that or or yeah, i guess in the sense of anti shooting the the high defense is aside from black Numenorians, fairly non-existent in the evil ranks urukai i mean yeah, you yeah, know are, are you are you getting that strength you know are you getting that shield on the you know uh, unusually enough most people don't ally in urukai i don't know why it's, got yeah, like it's, it's just a matter of when you're when you're designing a list I think it's a good um, point, though, Devin, because when you think about it, on paper, Urkai are really strong. You would think you'd see a little bit more of them, and with, with how effective Lurtz is at his points, you'd think, oh, I'll just throw Lurtz in with, you know, whatever I'm going with, and it's not doing pretty well. Yeah, uh, especially considering, like, fight five is basically evil standard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, fight five, five, four, four. I mean, defense, defense, sorry. Defense five, defense four. Um, so getting to defense six is... A little bit more rare. Defense seven, crap. I don't even know if there's any troop types in evil with defense seven. So, well, um, yeah, I can't think of any of them out of my head. I'm sure there might be one. <laughs> but, so basically, yeah, speed, uh, increase your speed is probably the most common. Because honestly, even if you brought black Numenorians in the front, chances are you're caring more about the terror and the shields. Um, well, I mean, you could just take Moranans. Like, it does the same. Yeah, that's but I mean, so maybe maybe you bulk up instead of on numbers on Moranans. But I mean, honestly, the, like like I said, it's like even in a good versus good or whatever, where where you can play the you know blue on blue tournaments, like Moranans are still just good. Like yeah. I would just take them regardless. Well, of- I, I think I think Matt's making the point. No, I agree with Matt's point about the speed. Okay. That I am slightly more likely to take speed. And and in his example of Isengard, I'm like, okay, I, I do agree with that. So. But because I, I, I was thinking Easterlings earlier, and I'm kind of like, well, I'm always bringing a drum in the Easterlings, so I'm like, well, well yeah, I mean, yeah, Easterlings are, are always <laughs> yeah. taking a drum because well, that's uh, like one of the things they do. But I, I get your point though, Devin, because I'm always trying to add a drum to Mordor whenever I take Mordor. Like I'm always yeah. trying to add a drum, so it it doesn't really matter what. But I, I agree with Matt. If I knew, it, you're both to me, you're both right. Where it's like, if I knew I'm going against good, I'm going to be more likely to take the drum, but I. I'm always going to try to take the drum anyway. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of one of those things. Um, unless I think Army of the Dead might be more popular in Good versus Evil. So I think Andrew actually had a point he was trying to insert here about 10 minutes ago. Andrew, do you uh, even still remember what it was? But I want to make sure we get it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you guys kind of covered it. I, I was trying to get to what Devin was saying, which is basically like, if you don't have the Shadow Lord and you're used to playing Evil and you're playing kind of likely armored troops, which is usually what they have, uh, you want to be hyper aggressive, which to your point, Devin, right, is kind of the norm anyway. But I think in good versus evil, you you have to have one of those two things going for you, right? And um, the reason why I brought it up is because I'm kind of the evil shooting guy, and right? I play Corsairs, I play Serpent Horde. Those are kind of my most popular evil armies. Um, so I've just noticed it's it's a bit different than than just going blue versus blue. Hmm. I think. Um... Yeah, no, I mean, even with Corsairs, I'm trying to think of them, and I'm like, I don't, 
I don't play them any differently, even in the other ones. So it's like, yeah, I, I think honestly, I make more adjustments on the good side than I do the evil side. I think there are uh, a lot more, but um, I don't know, maybe more shutdown magic on the evil side. So I think you're guaranteed to see race. I think honestly, when I play good versus evil, I think that, I'll say that that is another well, once again, though, it's a good change that I'm making. So on the good side, I do know I'm, I'm dealing with race almost continuously so if I do not have something that shuts them down, like Lady of Light, then I'm, I'm, I don't know, like having to deal with more bodyguard stuff to be able to, or on mounted bodyguards, I can like swoop in and grab them or something like that. But I know that I will definitely be dealing with Rays. So yeah, that, that was actually one of the things that I had uh, on my notes as well. Is like on the good side, heroes like Ellen Deal, like Lord Fendel, that have the built-in fortify spirit are huge because you can take those guys and then you don't have to worry about having that mitigation because you can't get it in every single list. Right. Yeah. So I really like those heroes and good versus evil on the good side. Uh, and then just as an army, you know, is it going to completely shut down a wraith? No, but if you have Lothlorien or uh Numenor with the bubble of, of mm-hmm. resistant to magic, that can help a lot as well. So, um, you, I think that's one of the big things that we've all touched on is that evil is always going to have access to magic uh, when you're playing good versus evil. So I really like those armies. Like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't consider Numenor a top tier army, but when your whole army is resistant to magic and you can stop, you know, sorcerous blasts from getting into your big heroes that are on horses, like stuff like that. Ellen Deal's got his fortified spirit. That that makes a big difference. So I think it elevates, uh, you know, certain armies as well. On the good side. Mm. Okay. Um, Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. As always, post any lists you have for you'd like for us to review as well in the comments. Uh, we are on Facebook as well. If you're looking to look into our group, we post our episodes there as well. Sometimes we'll post new uh, updates on what we have going on um, as well. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you're looking to listen to us there. And don't forget to give uh, Andrew and his podcast a shout. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Bye.